0: Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his
1: word to life. And now, for our speaker. After being faithful to the Lord during one of the hardest times in Israel's history, an angel of the Lord appeared to Ezekiel during his time in Babylon. Now you see, Ezekiel was taken as a slave 12 years before the Babylonian exile that we read of in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and even in Jeremiah. You see, there was a first wave of slaves that came from Jerusalem before the mighty empire came and destroyed Jerusalem, but there was a first wave. And the first wave was a punishment toward Israel. You see, at the time, Jerusalem was a Babylonian territory. It was under their rule. And they were being punished for making an alliance with Egypt against Babylon. They were stepping outside of their line, if you will, and they were making an alliance with Egypt secretly. And so Babylon showed its power, and it enslaved a portion of Israel's young men. Ezekiel being one of them in the first wave. Now, for those 12 years, God came to Ezekiel, spoke to him in Babylon, commissioned him as a prophet, and gave him warnings to share with the entire Jewish nation. And in fact, the very First vision that was given to ezekiel on his 30th birthday the birthday that would have allowed him to be a priest in the tribe of levi but instead he finds himself in bondage in babylon and on this day as he's mourning what could have been an angel appeared to him and showed him this vision of the Lord sitting on a throne and on this throne underneath him were four cherubim and they were holding up God and this vision that Ezekiel saw up into the heavens was very disturbing to his soul as that in the vision he saw the temple of God in the distance but the cherubim We're marching God away from Jerusalem. For that the temple had become a den of sin. And the Lord left. The land of Israel was falling. It had become as corrupt as Babylon itself. And then we read here that after this, that Ezekiel's warnings then became promises of destruction, that they had left their Lord behind. And then in according in Ezekiel 33, it happened. He receives word in Babylon that Jerusalem has fallen. Its king has been taken hostage, and the exile has officially begun. The land of Israel, once a symbol of God's power and his strength and his love, is now only in ruins. It's the price of pride. And when Ezekiel had thought that his role was done, what else could he tell me? What else is there to say? It has happened that once is, that he was just spend the rest of his days enslaved to Babylon, after all, Israel is already on its knees. What more could you want me to say here to your people? But in all the midst of this, in his own personal despair, an angel of the Lord appeared to Ezekiel again. And fearful, of what else do you want me to tell these people? The angel did not come to share woe or punishment, but he came to share a promise. He takes Ezekiel and he shows him a city in the future where the temple that had just been destroyed is rebuilt. And it's even bigger and more beautiful than before. And then Ezekiel looks down and he sees outside of the temple are men and women on their knees worshiping the one true God. And then the angel takes Ezekiel and points him up into the sky And then Ezekiel sees in the sky God sitting on his throne with the four cherubim bringing him back into the temple, back to claiming this house for the Lord. And he watched as they returned. And then he saw coming out of the doorway of the temple It started off just as a small little trinkle of water pouring down from the door, down the steps, and into the dirt. But as he watched the flow of the water, he saw the water get wider and deeper and bigger, and it flowed from the gate of the temple all the way down to the Dead Sea. And what he saw was that this fresh, clean water flowing from the temple, purified the salt waters of the Dead Sea. And to his surprise, he looked out there where it is only desolate, desert, and death. But he sees coming from the Dead Sea is a garden, like Eden. And it's filled with creatures and animals and man in abundance, living there in the deserts. And then as he's looking down there and he sees this land, The Lord speaks to Ezekiel, and he tells him, you are welcome, both Jew and Gentile, to this land. You, Ezekiel, are to consider the Gentiles as native-born Israelites. Along with you, they are to be given an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. And then Ezekiel asked the Lord, What is the name of this city? What are you showing me? And the Lord replied, This city will be called Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Father, we pray that your word come alive to us, off the pages, into our hearts, Father, I pray for your only your understanding of the scripture. I pray that anything that I say from here only be your truth and nothing more. God, I pray over the words, the study, the time that was spent over this, but God, I want you to be seen, you to be preached and understood that when we walk away from here, that we are clear, we understand what it is you want from us, Lord. And I pray this, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. Well, good morning. good morning. And what a powerful image we get from Ezekiel in a moment of despair and depression, quite honestly, being in bondage and not knowing how the outcome is going to be. But our God shows us the outcome. I want to say, I'm going to tell you up front that it is uh, very challenging to follow. Uh, is it Gianna? Did I say that right? Oh, that's a really tough act to follow. Gianna, a beautiful baby girl. Coming down the aisles. I mean, I, I, I'm so happy and so proud. Thank you so much for blessing us for doing that today. It was our pleasure. It was our joy. Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh. Like, if you want, we can get the piano back up and do another tour. I'm you're sure they wouldn't mind that, you know. But if uh, we're, we're diving into our third week here in Ephesians. So we've, uh, if you've been doing this for a couple of weeks now, so if, you, if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, last week we dived into the second chapter of Ephesians. So coming off of Easter, we wanted to just look into this book, just dive into this book a little bit. Uh, and, if, and if you were with us, we kind of looked through the second chapter, and we saw that Paul was really focusing on or, or really hitting this idea of being one in Christ, being one in Christ. And he was really hitting that pretty hard. You now, Paul spent a great deal of time, I mean, the whole almost chapter, focusing on where the Gentiles, so those who are, are not Jewish, the Gentile, he really hit hard on where did the Gentiles fit into the church? Where do they fit in to the church? I mean, he reminded them that they are included in the salvation that was offered at the cross that this is for you too, that you're included in that salvation, that, that they are in the family of God, that they have a seat at the banquet table that's being prepared for us all in heaven. He's saying you're part of that. You're not separate from that. Now, if you recall, this letter of Ephesians is not a letter of correction or rebuke or in other words you're getting something wrong but let me show you the right way it was actually i'm very impressed with how you're doing your church and let me confirm and affirm you let me hit this topic of where you fit into the church so he's really just praying and blessing them through the letter and here it says that they were doing even though nothing wrong. They were just the Ephesians were just trying to find their place as Gentiles in a Jewish system of faith. I mean, they didn't—they didn't know all the sacrifices. They didn't know the rules or the regulations. I mean, most of us don't, unless you're sitting, you're putting your, you know, studying the the Old Testament. We probably don't know all those rules and laws and sacrifices either. And in fact, even some of them in Ephesians, some of the some of them were experiencing ridicule. From other, from the Jews themselves, they, they weren't welcoming to the idea of Gentiles being included in this thing that we that we call salvation. They, they you know, in fact that they were okay. The Jews were okay if they kept to themselves. But but this whole idea of of worshiping and, and living life together, well, that was kind of a foreign, too different concept for them. And we experienced a little bit of that so far in just the first couple of chapters. I mean, this is why Paul is writing Ephesians. I mean, this is, it is evident. Now, he doesn't spend the whole book on this, but in the first three chapters, this is what he's hitting. He's hitting on this idea of, listen to me, you belong. You are in the family. Now, listen to the nonsense that they're saying, you belong. And he's really hitting three chapters on why they belong. He's comforting and affirming them that they have an equal right to the kingdom of god regardless of what the local jewish people in that time may say or do you have an equal right to this and this leads him to writing chapter three now he starts by bringing really us into his life so so far when we looked at the ephesians we really haven't seen what paul's been up to or or where he is in his life he's been really blessing them praying over them encouraging them but at the beginning of chapter three he's actually bringing us a little bit into what he's dealing with at the moment now even though that's not the main theme he doesn't spend a lot of time on it but he wants us to see kind of where he's at and so in fact he says at the very first verse of chapter three he says for this reason and of course he's referring to that the gentiles are part of for this reason i paul am a prisoner of christ jesus For the sake of you Gentiles. Now, he wasn't holding that over them. He wasn't saying, Well, if it wasn't for you, I'd be free. No, 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 no. He was saying, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you all. I want you to hear this. This is my choice. I want you to hear this. Now, what we know, according to history, is that Paul is literally writing this letter in chains, he's on house arrest in rome and he's got a little time on his hands so he's writing letters and he's sending them off to all the different churches and he here in fact he's awaiting trial is what we know he's going before rome to be placed on trial to be really i guess in their terms to be a criminal of spreading the news that gentiles are welcome into the family he's putting on trial i mean this is serious stuff he's brought on trial for this but here i noticed when i read this is that he never writes in any of his letters, and he says this a few times, but he never writes in any of his letters that he is a prisoner of Rome, but it's always he writes a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That no matter who owns the chains, he says, my heart belongs to Jesus doesn't matter who owns these this comes and goes but he's saying but this only has one master and i'm just a servant and he makes that he hit every letter he writes he says it, i'm a prisoner of christ jesus got me asking am i a prisoner of christ jesus do i see it that way can i get past this and see this is my heart belong exclusively to him that no one else can take away from me? It's really got my mind wondering and thinking, am I like that? Can I write those words? So here we see Paul's in chains. He's, 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 he's now bonded up, waiting for trial, and he's writing them. Now, why he's in chains is that he's writing of course, this message we're going to dive into, this idea of a mystery. Now, he says here, he says, surely, Paul writes, surely you have heard about the grace that was given to me for you. There's a lot to unpack about that, but surely you've heard about the grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation that God has revealed to me the mystery of Christ this mystery was not made known to the generations before us he writes but it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit and I don't know about you but when Kareem was reading the scripture a moment ago there was a lot of mystery talk going on almost kind of like we went back to an old Sherlock Holmes book. It's all about a mystery, mystery, mystery. And so Paul's actually writing and he's referring to this mystery, mystery, mystery. And so what is the mystery? Paul writes us. he says, right, what is the mystery? He says, it is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are now heirs together with Israel, members as one body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus. Because of Christ, there is no separation To ethnic groups of race or nationality there is no separation now paul keeps calling this the mystery of christ and and, and i don't know about you but i was really intrigued by that by that phrase mystery of christ i mean honestly when i was studying and i was reading i wasn't really too sure how i felt about the phrase the mystery of christ i mean i I I didn't when i when i dive into the bible i don't necessarily want to be watching an episode of scooby-doo or we got to figure it all out, right? We got to, you know, try to figure out where are we going where is it, or our Sherlock Holmes novel. That's not that's not the kind of faith I was wanting to chase. And in fact, I wasn't sure if I liked the idea of Jesus being a mystery that had to be cracked or figured out. I, don't, I mean, that was really just kind of sitting on me. Let me dive into that a little bit. Because like you, I don't want my pursuit of Jesus to be complicated or to be confusing and i don't think he does either and so i dived into this word mystery that paul keeps referring to and i I really wanted to get to the boss so after looking at the actual greek word the one that would have been used in this case looking at the greek word for mystery things started to make a little sense you see in english we use this word to describe something that is a secret that needs to be figured out or a riddle or something that a puzzle that's a mystery but see that isn't the way the greek language used the word so when paul was writing this he wasn't using it in that context in fact a mystery in greek refers to something that is a secret that has just been instantly revealed. No work involved. No puzzles. No riddles. You don't have to try to figure it out or, or do it. It's, not, it's just a mystery, and now it's not a mystery. And it's understood. It just, you just know it. It's almost like ignorance to educate it, right? I didn't know about that. You know, someone may say, well, you know. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know about that. Educate me, right? Tell me about that. It's kind of like that. I don't know. Oh, now I know. And that's the way that the Greek would have used this word mystery. So it was a mystery, but then in an instant, it wasn't. It was completely revealed. Now, this is the way that Paul is actually using this word. So when we read that, this is the context of the word mystery. That it wasn't because, and this is something that's important, it wasn't because of Paul's work, his, his savviness, his smartness, his whatever, because of his work, that he was able to come to the revelation, or, or that it was in the light. No, no, no. It was just revealed by the Holy Spirit. It was like a veil was there, and then he went, whew. Now I get it. Now I see it. it was there, It was like at the end of the Scooby-Doo episode. Or they, you know, it's funny how that every time, it, I mean, they could do a really amazing thing as a mask on Scooby-Doo, and then they just take it off, and well, I was one of the townspeople the whole time. But that's just how it is, it was veiled, okay, now I get it. And so what he does is he's trying to spell out this mystery. Here is the revelation. And it's that is that Christ's blood unites us as one family unites us as one family this is the mystery being revealed now to you and i that may seem like old news that's not a mystery at all and you'd be right it's not but at this particular time in ephesians when he was writing this letter this was the biggest mystery of time see paul here he sees it as his personal calling and responsibility to spend the rest of his life revealing the mystery. Because here is the bottom line is that there was a time, there was a time where God came upon the Israelite a Jew and say brought salvation from the Jews. And say, and we see that through the story of Jesus Christ. but through this mystery was hidden before, it is in the light now that God intends, for every believer to know that they can approach God with freedom and confidence. Because therefore, before this time, before Ephesians 3, before the time of even Paul going into the world, what we see is that there was a separation between the two. That that Israel was very comfortable with the idea That they can be saved and that the Gentiles can be saved, but not comfortable with the two being saved together. It was that if as long as you stayed over there and we stay over here, then we can perhaps figure out this system of faith. I mean, we don't do that anymore, right? I mean, that's all old news. We don't do that. But that's how it was. It was that you, stay over, you stay over there. In fact, in fact, the Jews may even have a little pride in there going, well, we were the ones saving you anyway. So just stay over there. But what Christ did when he came down and what God is showing, is intending, is that every, believer, every single believer can approach God with freedom and confidence. Every single one. And so here, we see that the mystery that was revealed to Paul can be found in the vision that was given to Ezekiel. Because I'm going to tell you what the real mystery to me is. The real mystery is this, is that we know that Christ has died for all. We know that the separation of race, of class, or whatever, is not of God, it's of man. We do that. That is not a command from our Lord. That we are the ones who choose to be separated. But I will tell you that as Ezekiel saw in his vision, there is no separation in the kingdom of God. That we will all be united together as one under the cross. And this is why Paul is spending a significant amount of time speaking about the mystery, about the mystery of Christ. Now, I know that's a funny word for us to use and to say but the reason why, again, Paul is hitting this home is that if heaven is going to look like that, why not start now? And see, the real mystery to me is that if Christ's heart, if his heart is big enough to save me and all of my back and all the things that I bring. And I even heard that, among, gosh, what a powerful testimony Tom gave. powerful testimony this is life-changing stuff this is real stuff that the cross can change a life it is really silly if we go to the cross and be completely transformed by and we're we're good enough for him but we're not good enough for each other that doesn't make no sense and so Paul is calling us to be unified under the cross as one under the blood to be one that this vision that was given to Ezekiel that the new Jerusalem the kingdom of God is a land for both Jew and Gentile for you and for me but what we read is that the hearts of Israel were not ready to receive this word that the veil was still covered, that this mystery was not of interest. And even though they were circumcised, separated from the world, their hearts were not. They were not. I mean, they, they just couldn't see a world where this happened. And I'm going to tell you that left to its own design, the world around you and me today will always try to separate us by tribe by color by right by wrong by left by right by up by down it will always try to separate us into pieces and the world has been doing this from the very beginning and this type of living would be the only way but then was christ There was Christ. He came to reveal the mystery that the kingdom is for all who call upon him. That we all share the same need and desire to be saved from sin and evil. And that the kingdom of God will not be divided. So this morning... What of us today? What of us today? You see, the kingdom will not be divided into sections, but instead it will be unified by the blood of the Lamb. That on the day when the Lamb breaks the seals found in the book of Revelation, we will be united together as a part of the heavenly host, shouting, Holy, Holy, Holy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And if the kingdom of God is going to look like this, then what about now? And so this morning, as Josh plays, I want to open the altars up. This is a time of just prayer or perhaps reflection. And it may not even be about anything I just preached. Like you're like, man, my heart's in check. I'm good with that. I'm there, I'm with you, Captain. I'm like, preacher, brother, yeah, I get it. But there may be something else on your heart. Maybe you are, you know, struggling with that loving your neighbor part. Maybe that is difficult. Don't let it be. It doesn't have to be. Because I, there, there is a God who can change that heart. I can't love that person. That may be true. But go to the cross, and I'm telling you, he can do it. But there may be another struggle in your life. It could be health. It could be loss. It could be whatever. And maybe right now the Spirit is just just, just leaning, just pushing on you a little bit. Give that to me. Give it to me. Don't leave here with that. Just whatever it is, but we're going to open a time of prayer. Let the Spirit move on you. And then respond.
0: Life has come, look to Christ to condescend. Took on flesh to ransom my. the mm-hmm. God.
1: Evident and real and moving in an all powerful way. Father, I just take a moment now and I pray for those here in this congregation, either in person or online. But God, if there's anyone who has a burden on their heart that just hasn't given it, that just hasn't had the just doesn't know what to do with it, Lord, I pray that you move on them in a mighty way pray for the hearts of those that I love in this room that I have the joy of shepherding. So, Lord, I first pray for my heart, my condition. And may it may be honorable before you. And help us, God, all of us, to know and understand the scripture. Put it into our heart. And anything, the bondage or chain that's on us, God, break it. And we lean into this, Lord. We are claiming, Father, that your mystery fall on us. May we be revealed. May we see you. And God, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. And next week, we're going to dive a little into Ephesians 5. We're going to cover a little bit on this whole submission. Remember the husbands and wives? Oh. Don't worry. But it's in the book. I got to cover it. It's in the book. (laughs) Like, I guess, you know. But we're going to look into that a little bit next week. So God bless you, and we'll see you then.